You're listening to Nakedly Examined Music, a podcast about songs and songwriters. My name is Mark Lintenmeyer. My guest for episode 208 is Laura Osnes. She is best known for her work on Broadway, which kicked off with her winning an NBC reality show called Grease, You're the One That I Want. And you're right now listening to the 2007 Grease soundtrack, her rendition of Hopelessly Devoted. So she was in a bunch of shows, but in 2021... There was some controversy over her anti-vaccine stance. She was essentially canceled, left Broadway, moved to Tennessee, and has started writing songs. She released an EP in 2022, and today we're going to be discussing her 2023 singles, Getaway and Enough. Then we're going to look back to 2012, her cabaret performance of How About a Dance, which was from the Bonnie and Clyde soundtrack, a musical she was in. That show was released as Dream a Little Dream live at the Cafe Carlisle. And we'll conclude by listening to a 2022 holiday duet that she recorded with a fellow named Chuck Wicks called Fell for You. Learn more at lauraosnis.com. Learn more about this podcast at nakedlyexaminedmusic.com. And if you want to support the show and get my detailed episode notes, go to patreon.com slash nakedlyexaminedmusic. I will play it a little bit of Hopelessly Devoted from the Grease soundtrack 2007, just to orient folks, because that was your first, a very strange career path here from, of course, you know, doing local college level. What, where were you at before you made the jump to the reality show? You were post-college or you were? No, actually, I only went to college for one year and studied musical theater and I started working. So I was working professionally in Minneapolis starting in sixth grade, doing professional regional theater at the Guthrie and the Minneapolis Children's Theater Company. And I was doing a mixture of school shows and professional regional theater in Minneapolis, where I'm from, before the reality show and off to New York. And then I counted on your wiki page, six Broadway musicals and a bunch of off-Broadway and regional and other concerts and things sort of going up to a few years ago. And now you are decided to songwrite so that, you know, I haven't had anybody on the show before that has made that jump from being a lauded professional performer to, I mean, were you, were you songwriting as a younger person at all? Or this was really entirely new idea. Definitely new. And we will get into that. Yeah, that's great. All right. Well, we're going to get pretty quickly to the new single, right? The amount of material I had, I'm always grateful to a guest, but I don't have to, I enjoy listening to 40 albums in a row by somebody to really get a, you know, a handle on somebody that's been making music since 1971. But the fact that we have less than an album's worth of original material to work with, is actually good that I could focus and actually, you know, remember the songs. So Getaway, the new single released this August. You want to say a few words before we play it and then we'll talk in more detail. Getaway was actually one of the first songs that I wrote when I moved to Nashville with an amazing artist and songwriter named Raquel Cole. And I essentially wanted to capture... It was inspired by actually my, our first date, my husband's and my first date here in Tennessee. We moved here and three days later, we took a drive out to Leaper's Fork. And we visited the little like winery there and the little wine tasting place. And we got wine and we sat in the rocking chairs on the porch and looked out and we're like, this is our new life. Wow, look at this. And literally such a drastic shift from Manhattan, New York City. And so it was that drive to Leaper's Fork. It was beautiful. It was the sun was setting. We felt freedom. We felt a lot of unknowns, but like what an adventure to get to do that together. And just the drastic shift of the city life versus the Leaper's Fork, country, Tennessee life, getting out of the craziness of New York.
Hillsborough Nights Take the doors off the Jeep mm, Go for a ride Feel the wind in my hair Letting go like we don't care Ooh, until we feel alright Cause it's all too much And I don't wanna rush Let's get out of town Roll the windows down Ooh, and get away I'll leave the world behind Who knows what we're gonna find Ooh, and our great escape Cause it all seems so small And starts to fade When you look at me and say Let's get away Let me just sort of go back to the basics in terms of your songwriting, how the mechanics of it works. So you say you, you co-wrote this with somebody. I see a piano behind you. Are you fiddling around? Did you have to do music theory in your year of college such that I, or, or take piano or were you just strictly a voice person? What are you coming to the table with? I took piano for three years and have obviously been a professional musician with my voice, obviously, since I was like in kindergarten. But my voice has always been my instrument. So I do know how to read music, but I wouldn't say I know how I can't just sit down and like play anything. Or even I, I just grew up kind of playing by ear. But even so with songwriting, I feel like I bring storytelling and lyric to the table more than I bring music. Like, yes, I'm a musician 
and it's my job to bring those those lyrics to life and i i know what i want to say and partially how to say it but i have relied on co-writers to help with the musical elements and the aspect because that has not been my area of expertise so does that mean that you kind of have this as a poem with a melody in mind and you're singing into your phone and you're sending this to somebody and like make that into a song yeah essentially the co-writes have all been together. So it's either been over Zoom or in the room. So we're kind of coming up with it together at the same time. Usually I will bring a couple ideas to the table, either like either like a title or a chorus phrase or yes, a poem or even a paragraph of like written out like the sentiments of what I want to say or what I'm being inspired to sing about. And then we'll begin writing the song. And usually co-writer will begin with kind of some chords and kind of come up with a melody. And then we'll kind of... It depends. Sometimes write a chorus first, usually start with a verse, actually, like write write with the first verse and then get to the meat of what we want to say. And I feel like I'm good at rhyming. I like writing poems. I like, I've always loved creative writing. So that is something I can bring to the table. But lyrically, I feel like a lot of what I bring sometimes is cliche. And I know I need help saying things in a new, exciting and creative way. And then I'll know if it's right or if it's not right, which is good because I'm like, no, that's not actually how I feel or no, that's, that's not actually what I'm meaning when I'm saying it. So it's good that I, I come with a, like a vision, but I need help executing it, which has been so fun. I love collaborating. I think working alone is lonely. <laughs> and so I love bouncing ideas off people and being made better, being inspired by what's going on in someone else's head and heart. And I've been very, very grateful to have people kind of capture my visions and help bring them to life. Well, and I like that you have that self-deprecation to start with that because yes, we start by writing in cliches. We've heard all these songs and it's not necessarily a matter of getting rid of all of them. It's a matter of keeping the right ones and tweaking the others. I mean, that you've got feel the wind in my hair, letting go like we don't care. Like, okay, that's not original sentiment, but it, it fits what you're trying to do. Like, that's what the song is about. That's it. Especially coming from New York City, we didn't have a car for 12 years mm. in New York. We drove the subway and we walked everywhere because we were right in Manhattan. So it is just such a life shift of, of literally feeling the wind in my hair, taking those doors off the Jeep and being like, we didn't have that for years. That was not our life. And that is actually something that we've come to love about driving in Tennessee and especially out to Leapers Fork, having created... I've been here now for two years and beginning to create those memories of driving in the car after over a decade of literally not ever doing that. <laughs> I really come to appreciate it. And I think I'm ignorant of the mechanics of Jeeps. Can you actually take the doors off? Is it like taking the top down of the convertible? What is it with taking the doors off the Jeep? Yeah, you can. You actually can unhinge the doors and there's no there's no windows and no doors and you just get to ride with the open car. The classic Jeep image. That's right. That's right. Getting this from composition to the actual recording. I mean, did you and Raquel demo it at the time? And then, it, you know, with just her playing piano or like, how do you then pick where you're going to record this? Who's going to engineer it? Was this proposed by a label? Was there a label involved that sort of was setting you up with people or this is entirely... You basically you producing by having to find these people. That's it. I produced it. I've been completely independent so far. And Raquel and I did she I had her record it first because I was just so insecure of going like, I don't even know how to sing this. Like I sing Disney musical theater stuff. And I don't need I, I was on a whole journey as an artist of finding my voice as a contemporary commercial artist because I came from the Broadway world. And I'm still doing that. I still feel like that's something that's been an exciting challenge for me as a singer to begin to grasp 
So I was like, Raquel, I don't know how to sing this. Like, you're the artist. You have such great instincts. Like, can you record our voice demo? And so I feel like I listened to her actually. And I studied Raquel and obviously made my own choices along the way. And then she had me back a few months later. She was like, Laura, I believe in you. You can record this. Like, and I, so I went back to her place and we, I recorded a demo version of it, me singing it, but it still felt like so safe and so theatery. And I was like, okay, I have, I still have some work to do. I ended up producing it with my friend Brett Boyette, who has a production studio here in Nashville. And um, I met him through another mutual friend. And uh, he took the song and ran with it and helped me even vocally in the booth. We changed a couple things. He had some great ideas. We brought the song to life about a, a year later, almost a year later. Okay. So all the little, at the end of the first chorus, there's some most obvious little production bit. Let me just play 113. So that little, yes, you know, like, so that's just all Brett doing his thing or we're. Well, I will actually say that in particular was my idea. (laughs) So no, I was very much, I was there. I was very much a part of production process. I mean, I sat in the room and we came up with ideas together, but his process is he puts together like a kind of demo of him playing it and the arrangement. And then he has professional musicians come in. But I actually was away doing a job the day that the band was recording. So my husband kind of went in my stead and. And was kind of my voice the day that the band recorded. And then obviously I came, I came back and we were able to kind of pick and choose the takes and the production kind of elements of the song. So I was very involved and obviously getting mixes back and giving notes. And even my husband had a couple drum beat ideas that was like, hey, can we do something like this? Because my husband's a drummer. We have a drum set back here too. And like he was hearing some things that kind of like Brett was able to kind of put in after the fact. So no, we were very involved, but... I don't know how to do any of that. So Brett obviously was the one that knows how to literally help bring it to life. Sure. Writing rhythms with your mouth. I'm very familiar with that. So yeah, like this beginning start with the 80s synth drums and you know before the actual drums come in. Do you recall the genesis of that in particular, for instance? I would say that was Brett. We had like probably three different versions of the intro and how we wanted it to start and what was going to be essentially the most like iconic what was going to be the thing? And that's why I really love the like engine at the start. Like there was debate about whether we should keep that in or not. And part of me was like, it's really going to like date the song, like as things go on. But then I was like, that's also something that whenever anybody hears it, they're going to know that it's that song, that it's my song. And so I loved it. And then if you listen through at the end, you can hear the car like zooming away. Like we kept that in underneath some elements. So it's every idea coming together. My music manager, Chris, is always also very involved in listening to mixes and giving input and stuff. So, you know, you get four kind of creative musical minds in a room and it's kind of best idea wins. Like, do you hate this? Do you like this? And it's been fascinating for me having not songwritten in my life, you know, being fairly new to songwriting the last couple of years kind of beginning to understand the process of going, there isn't really a right or wrong. And music is so subjective that it's like, you're not going to be able to please everybody in the world anyway. So just write the truth and write what you like and trust that like someone else out there is going to like it as well. You got two pretty concise verses to tell the story here. And the bridge, you know, driving to our favorite song, come on, baby, sing a lot. Like that's the whole thing. Like, Were there versions of writing a bridge that's three times that long and paring it down? Like, do you remember anything about the process of coming up with these particulars? The song didn't initially have a bridge. 
And then like later, when I went to demo it at Raquel's house, we kept thinking like, it probably needs a bridge. <laughs> and we were like, I don't think it has to be long. I think, I think it has to go somewhere else, but it does need a little, a little bit of a bridge uh, before it comes back. And then the verses, this song Raquel and I wrote in like two hours, it came pretty quickly. I just, I feel like the, the verses, I don't remember like having much of an issue with it. I think the first was like, it was just that that date to Leaper's Fork. It was like, let's get in and get out of the craziness. I moved here to Tennessee under kind of duress, personal situation. So I was really vulnerable when we moved here. And we like, I needed the peace and the escape and the freedom that Tennessee had to offer having come from New York. And so this was that like, oh, the burden is lifted and we can just be us and be free and we can like let the world fade away and just like enjoy each other. That's all. It didn't have to be complicated. It actually needed to be simple on purpose for where I was at that time in my life. It sounds like it is, even though this is clearly an indie project, you're producing it, you're creating this, but you're trying to, I'm now a country singer, right? Is that part of it? That like you're trying to, the vocal style, the the way that, you know, that like, was that, you said you sort of picked up some of that from Raquel, like that's the way she sang it. So you're sort of, she's more just native to that style. Yes. She definitely lives in the kind of more country, country pop genre. And yeah, I would say adopted a lot of that from her. And I think I've been on a journey the last two years of going like, who is Laura and what is her sound? I feel like moving here, I'm originally from Minnesota, spent 15 years in New York, just moved here to Nashville two years ago. And to think that I can immediately be like, I have an authority on country music and that's what I want to be. Like, I knew that that wasn't who I was really. And so I think I've been on this journey of going like, where do I live vocally? What kind of stuff do I like to sing? I think Nashville has definitely had an influence on me and my music in the last two years. I've always really loved like listening to like kind of folksy Americana music, which I think my voice lends itself to a little bit more than like straight up country. But I like being influenced by the Nashville vibe and what's going on here. So it's not like I was trying to be like, I'm going to be a full on country singer because a lot, not all of my music necessarily is that way. And it's been fun to kind of morph and change and figure out and not feel like I have to fit into a box that I feel like the music industry kind of wants you to like pick a genre. And people always ask me that when I started writing and still do. And I'm like, I don't quite know yet. I'm, I'm learning where I like to lean, but I'm just, my genre is truth. I'm writing the truth and I feel like it will find its place. And then the songs that have kind of taken off and gotten selected for playlists and things have been on the like New Music Friday country playlist. So then I'm like, oh, am I country? Like, oh, this is being considered country? Okay, like that's kind of cool. So I think I'm starting to lean into that more because those are the songs that are kind of generally getting noticed. I mean, I hope it's just the fact that the industry is breaking down. And so these norms cannot be actually be enforced. You know that, I mean, maybe Taylor Swift did it by herself that like I'm country, but ha ha now I'm pop. And, and it's not like all the country music stations rejected her or something, you know, it's just, so anybody in the pop, you know, if you live in Tennessee, I don't know what, what the criteria are anymore, but this was, this has been for a long time. Garth Brooks, like that's just rock wearing a hat. Let's, it's not, no, exactly. I think Taylor Swift is such a great example of she redefines herself every album and people still love it. Like at the end of the day, she's her and people love her and her writing style and her honesty and her truth and what she has to say. And I wouldn't complain if my fans gave me that permission to continue to like redefine myself every song, every album. And not to say like, obviously, 
I still want to be me. And I want to figure that out and go like, I want my music to be truthful. I want my songs to reflect me and who I am. And who's to say that every once in a while, you can't take a little turn in a, in a slightly different direction or challenge yourself or think outside your own box. I think that's really exciting. I think that's what makes us artists. People don't want to hear the same thing over and over. And there's already so many country artists that exist. Like, I don't want to sound like them. I want to sound like me. Let me play one more clip from uh, 258. Your little yodel there and then your vocal ad-libbing. It's not hard to ad-lib when you sort of are playing with a band, but like how many takes does that involve? And things when you're by yourself and trying to sort of make a party by yourself in a booth? That's a great question. And again, for someone like me, like I am learning how to be more creative and artistic in the booth when I'm recording. Because coming from the Broadway world, it has been my job to be consistent, to give the exact same show, eight shows a week, and learn the music that you're given and do what's on the page, right? Like I've never created something from nothing. Like I pride myself on my consistency and giving an audience the same show 400 times. So for something like this, like once I learn something, that's kind of all I hear. And so that's where like Raquel's artistry and Brett, who is my producer, their suggestions really came into play where I was like, if you're hearing something, like kind of sing it. And so I can learn it and execute it. And even since I feel like Getaway was a good, like my first EP I did, you know, last year, five tracks, like I was very, I listened back to it even now. And it's only been a year since I made it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so much more free now. I'm so much more willing to like take risks and try things. And even, and then I was like, I need to play it safe. I learned it this way. So this is what I'm going to sing. That's what's so exciting. As an artist, you can continue to grow. And I've been grateful to surround myself with collaborators that encourage me in that direction. Um, And I'm beginning to trust my own instincts a little bit more. As far as the harmonies, which are mostly pretty subtle, at least volume wise, you're just doing those yourself because it's quicker. Yeah, for this song, I did do it myself. Well, let's get the second one out there. We debated on which of the songs from the EP and eventually decided none of them that we're going to talk about enough, which is the previous single came out last July before the Barbie movie. So it's not the Kenuff. It's nothing to do with that. But the, uh, yeah, do you have any words of where you're at with this? This is not so overtly country. Uh, it's more in the, I want to say Disney-fied pop because that is sort of, you know, the lens that I'm hearing this from. The reason I know who you are is because my daughter, who is now in college, was very into musical theater, you know, participating and listening and would play me stuff like the Cinderella that you sang on and things in the car. And so, but yes, and so enough has enough of that quality that... <laughs> You know, it's not country radio fair, unless I don't understand what country radio is anymore, which is very possible. No, it's it's not country radio. Again, this was a song where I was like, this needs to be the truth. This You could maybe more hear this in like a, a movie, like as a, a credit song or a something like that. Again, I wrote this song at a very like low point in my life, shortly after I moved here, where I was just, I felt like I had lost everything. And... I didn't know how to go on. And for me, this song is like my husband, like picking me up off the floor. I'm also a person of faith. So to me, it was like God just saying, you are still enough. Like, I love you. Even in your brokenness, you are still worthy. And I feel like that's a message that so many people need to hear. The initial production on this song, I worked with my co-writer on this song, Jay Denton, Okay, also produced it. 
And the first pass at production was just like not right feeling wise. It was a little more kind of country hopeful. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Like this is the song where I was brokenhearted on the floor. And it needs to be like someone is just like holding my face in their hands going like, you're going to be okay. And you are worthy. And it was like, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) And so that's why it's a little more atmospheric. That's why it has that kind of sad space that's happening and the the drum beat that is heavy and just the vul- the vulnerability in it funny how quickly the tables can turn One strike of a match and I'm left here to burn What took years to build can be wrecked in a day Oh, and I don't want to show that I'm lost in the waves Mm, I try so hard to hide in a smile It lasts for a while of my walls and say darling I got you you're more than enough you've got nothing to prove you don't have to be tough there are shades of your beauty that shine in the mess Mm, I still want every piece of your Brokenness 
So yeah, very different cinematic. This whole like is it actual timpani or is it just toms, I assume, the to get us or or something on the computer. Yeah, this song was a lot of digital, more digital elements for sure. Jay played the guitar, which is so beautiful. And then we hired an incredible cellist. I am blanking on his name right now. It's horrible with me. It was a year and a half ago, but he lives in LA, a cellist in LA that Jay knows, um, who has done so many records. So who literally phoned it in, you know, they sent it over the, he was not in the room with you and Jay. Well, Jay actually has a studio in LA as well. And he splits his time between Nashville and LA. So I'm pretty sure that the cellist went to his LA studio. Yeah, that often happens where it sounds like this is a full string part, but no, it's just one person overdubbed a few times. I was sure there was at least some viola in there. He must just be playing very high on the neck at some point during the song. Yeah. And again, there might have been a couple digital string elements that were added in addition to the live. I was around for some of this production. For sure. We we had a lot of like Zoom, like Zoom production meetings because Jay wasn't always here. Some of the time he was in LA. So I was like putting on my headphones and tuning in to like versions where I was like listening to what he was doing and we were fixing in the moment and then a couple of times here as well. All right. So you get to spend time in the studio without having to be in the studio that you can <laughs> I've done sessions of do I need to sit here while you engineer the drums for two hours? Like, maybe I'll just come back when you have the kick drums working the way you like them and get to the decisions I actually care about. Yeah, let's talk about the production a little more before. I didn't know that you'd have much to say about the production on the first one. So I'm glad that you were more involved in that. But in terms of this one, like just working with Jay in general. So again, was this a, you had some lyrics, you had some melody, or did he have that guitar part first? Do you remember what the order of operations was with this? Yeah, I came with a mostly chorus on this particular one. I had brainstormed the chorus in the shower <laughs> a few times, you know what I mean? And had written it down. And the melody didn't end up exactly the same, but quite close. And then we wrote verses around it. And I knew I wanted to write a song about this, about being, about even in your brokenness, you are still enough or worthy. And yeah, Jay started, oh, the guitar part was beautiful. Like the Jay started doing the guitar and we actually, for this song, this is maybe inside baseball. Um, we recorded a demo of this about a year before we actually, again, put it out into the world. And we ended up keeping the demo vocal. And I added a couple more harmonies, but that, that vocal is from the demo. And then we added production around it, a vocal we had made months before. Because I just felt I was so it's so vulnerable. It's so like broken. I was again, I was in that place in my life where I was just singing from that place. And it was so honest and truthful. I was like, I don't think I can record this any better. Let me play from the beginning of the vocal around 14 seconds is where you come in. Funny how quickly the tables can turn. One strike of a match and I'm left here to burn. Yeah, so just hearing those first two lines, I was thinking like, how many things would your voice teacher not like about that? That you could be a little breathy, you have a little vocal fry, like, but it's it's very natural. Like it's how pop express so what is, you know, coming from a presumably probably pretty stringent voice lesson background of every note must be like a trumpet to doing this. It's so interesting because I yes, I did grow up taking voice lessons, but I also kind of came out of the womb with that like crystal clear voice that I have. So I have actually worked very hard 
to not sound like a princess and bring in the vocal fry and bring in the breath. I've actually that I've actually taken voice lessons here to try to get rid of more of that kind of natural. I I was never like classically trained, like operatically trained, but I always I just lived in the world of musical theater and grew up listening to Rodgers and Hammerstein and the Disney movies and that was 100% my influence. Judy Garland, like all of those old theatrical and movie musical stars. And so I've had to like actually work hard to try to find style and find a personality and that imperfection. Where, where does the voice crack? What's going to make listeners actually lean in and trust that, that perfection is actually not interesting, <laughs> even though that's where I came from for, for so long. Well, it's funny that you mentioned the voice cracking because you literally have a line, the cracks in my walls. And I had made a note of the walls is sort of, you added, well, you know, just like a little like separation between the W and the rest of the, again, is this, when I ask most singers about this, they're just like, I don't know. I just sing it. Why are you even asking this? But I know you've had to, you know, micro analyze yourself as a theater performer. I didn't want it to sound meticulous like I had gone through when I purposed to put that space between the W and the A. Like I didn't purpose to do that, but that's what happened in that vocal. And I, I love, we all loved it. So I think I was also, again, between us, like, here we go. Like I was also getting over being sick. I remember when we sang the demo. And so I was just, my voice, it was just a little weaker. It was a little breathier. And it just fit. It matched the emotion of the song so well. So like, I didn't mind that extra kind of huskiness because that's actually hard for Laura. I often wish I had more soul and more huskiness in my voice. And I was kind of getting over it and like, it just, the magic was captured in that demo when I was still kind of a little husky and raw and we like used it. And I was like, this works, this works so well. <laughs> so I, I've sung this song live a couple of times since and I try to recreate that, but it doesn't have that exact same sound as the recording has because that's where I was and that's why we love it. <laughs> I have a couple songs from like 93 where I was home from college with strep or something and I recorded two songs with it, and I, I kept the vocals like <laughs> Because like, yeah, I can't do that on purpose. Right. And especially again, where I come from, it's, it's it was all like perfection and consistency. And I'm like learning to be like, wait, like vulnerability and imperfection is what's interesting. And that's where the artistry is. And I still have, I have a long way to go in continuing to find that, but it's been a really fun journey and challenge. Let's stop for a minute for some sponsor talk. I told you on my last episode here about Songfinch. Songfinch is the ultimate gift to show how much you care. It's an original studio quality song inspired by your story that's completely unique, personal, and lasts forever. I went through the process to request a song. You just go to the website, provide some details about you, your story, who the song is for, maybe. Give them a style of song, and then they will match you with a Songfinch artist. And in seven days or less... The song is produced, recorded, beautifully sung just for you. And you can pay a little extra for some add-ons like a vinyl record of the song, one-of-a-kind art crafted from your lyrics. They've done this over 300,000 times. And every song is guaranteed they will tweak the lyrics until you like it. I actually asked them, create the commercial for me. And a very talented singer-songwriter named Yusu Kim wrote, per my request, this song in roughly the style of Weezer. So check out and order your very own original song. 
Just check out the blog post for this episode. You'll get a link to hear the full song if you'd like. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song on Spotify for free so you can listen to your new favorite song anywhere you go. Go to songfinch.com slash N-E-M and start your song. After your purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free. That's a $50 value. The offer is only available for my listeners at my special URL, songfinch.com slash N-E-M. That's songfinch.com slash N-E-M. Don't wait. Get started now. So in writing this one, you left some space. There's a lot of hmms. There's hmms that become oohs. Was there thought of maybe I should write more lyrics to make that? Or or was it, or often if I am demoing like that, it would be, well, that's going to be the cello line or the guitar line or something. I'm not going to just sing ooh, but what is the thought? I think that was Jay, my co-writer, found that kind of lulling, haunting kind of melody riff that we made essentially into a bridge. And he found that during the intro of the song, which I sing it in the intro. And then we just... Well, you hum it in the intro and then you sing, you ooh it later. So I, known for my large lungs, will now, hmm, will will do something that cannot possibly show off that, you know, because that's not what you're trying to do here. Right. I think like it's, again, that, that haunting kind of hum that it just kind of stuck. We kept coming back to it. And it was like, this actually can be the bridge. This can be that little there. You're right. We left space for it. Again, we'd said everything we needed to say, and it's not a song of many words. It's a song of just vulnerability and, and being broken. So I felt like that was like the cry that was, that just ended up being, this is me crying on the floor and calling out for help and trusting that I was going to be rescued. Let me play getting from the first verse to the first chorus. So I really thought that was an interesting choice to, we're going to sail up to the edge and then you're just going to be floating there by yourself. We're not going to have everything coming in on the one of the darling that you're going to do that. And then it's all going to come on the nuff instead. Again, was that sort of in the conception or that's just a while recording, like, you know, it's actually cooler if it's exposed that way. Yeah, great question. It's a similar kind of thing I did with Getaway on that beginning of the second chorus, like kind of having everything cut out and then return. I don't think that happened in our original, original demo that everything cut out. I think it was, this is essentially the voice that's coming to my rescue. And it's like an angel where I just, again, they wanted to create space for going like, if you hear nothing else, this is what you need to hear. And it felt like everything else needed to kind of drop out and so that I could hear those words. I hadn't really thought about how the narrative voice shifts there, that it's in first person and now it's in second person. You're answering yourself. Was there any thought of maybe I just wasn't paying enough attention? Uh, was there a distinct change in how the voice it lets add twice as much reverb something? So now it's the angel. Now you're the angel character. No, I think that would have been too theatrical. Again, like if had I had I become from the theater world, my my I would have been like, yes, absolutely. We need a whole different voice and I'm going to become a different character. Like, no, that's not the way. And parallel octave yourself an octave up while you're doing it, just so it sounds like no human being possibly could. <laughs> exactly. No, we needed it to have a more commercially type thing. So I and not be too out there. I think the lyric says it. It's like you see through the cracks of my walls and say darling, I've got you. It's like, no, like you don't have to be perfect for me. You don't have to hold it all together. The vision I got in my life when this happened to me was like my, the vase of my life was like thrown on the floor and shattered. And initially I just wanted to try to like put all the pieces back together again and quickly realized that wasn't going to be possible. 
So that's where this song came from in a place where I was like, I can't put the pieces of my life back. And I thought that I could, and I don't know what to do. And like, what am I even good for now? And that's why it was like, you see through the cracks and it's okay of going like, even in your brokenness, I still want every piece of your brokenness. That's a lyric in the chorus that just like, again, I feel like people, people need to hear it. If you're going through something hard and your life has been shattered, that you are still worthy and there is life on the other side of it. Now, I've so enjoyed talking about the music itself and your choices with you that I hesitate to open the box of, do you want to just tell the audience the story of why you got to this point? Or should we not do that and let them, we'll just link to something. No, no, no. It's totally good. I've think, yeah, no, thank you. It's been two years now. So, and I've done several other podcasts and things about it, but I was essentially, long story short, I was like a victim of cancel culture in New York City and I was very publicly canceled in the New York Post over like COVID and vaccine stuff, which as we all know at the time was a horribly divisive issue. So glad that that it has gone away enough that I don't have to argue with anybody about it anymore. Like if you not get all on you, whatever. Now Yeah. And that was always my mentality to each his own. Everybody should have the freedom and the choice to do what is right for them. But that was not Uh, the view of my community and of New York City. And someone found out and plastered that in the newspaper. And there were a lot of untruths. There was an article specifically that was posted saying I was fired for a job that I very like quietly backed out of. And I was getting paid like $100 to do this job. It was so not a big deal. And it ended up, you know, ruining my whole life and changing my entire trajectory. We had to flee from New York. I lost all my friends. I continued to lose a lot of work. And we had to start over in Tennessee. And it now, two years later, has been, you know, beauty is coming from ashes. Obviously, I've created art. I turned pain into music and um, have found new forms of creativity. I now have built, I think, just such fortitude of standing in the face of adversity and now knowing who I am and what my identity is in. And it's not that. It's not what I do. And um, I'm excited to be exploring new creative outlets and new creative avenues that I never, ever would have considered because I would still be in New York doing that and putting my identity in that. And I've grown a lot as a person having to go through something so publicly difficult and challenging. So in terms of how to turn that into a story, into a set of words in here, interesting that, you know, it's not, oh, I'm so sad addressing the audience. It is addressing presumably your husband or what, you know, that I'm trying to keep it together and you are the glue that is helping me do that. And then the angel is answering or whatever. I mean, was there any other choice? I I didn't sort of survey your EP song to see whether they're all aimed at a specific person or whether some are general addresses to the crowd or that, you know, what is your, your thought on how you should be using music as an address as somebody coming from the theater where Presumably, either your character is talking to the audience or it's their inner life or they're talking to somebody else on stage, probably the latter. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think it varies song to song, to be honest, for me. You know, there's one song on my EP uh, called On the Other Side. And that is essentially toward like young girls who base their worth off of social media and how many likes they get and the comparison how comparison is like the thief of joy. And I realized that when suddenly my life shifted, I would look at social media and see everybody's lives going on as normal and all of these amazing things that they were doing and going like, that was me a year ago. And now I'm like not allowed. And I've been cut out from that. And I found like, wait, I do the exact same thing. I tell other people not to do compare themselves or, and then you think there's probably someone 
on the other side of the world looking at your life going like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? Or that looks so fun. Or she's getting to do all these cool things. And just like at the end of the day, being grateful for what you have. And then I wrote a song called Bitter, which is about my like my breakup with New York, kind of. I think if you didn't know my situation and you listened to it, it could be like any breakup to a specific person. Mine is essentially to the city, you know, to the city of New York. I wrote a song called Anywhere about moving and starting over in a new place with my husband. And it's like, I could be happy anywhere as long as I'm with you. And it's actually this really upbeat kind of sweet song about having nothing and ha- having there be so many unknowns, but it being totally okay because as, at least I have you. So it's, uh, it varies who, who the intended audience is or who, I, who I'm singing to specifically. And when you said you came up with the chorus in the shower, I mean, you've got different versions of, of the chorus. So, you know, by the end, we, there are shades of your beauty that shine in the mess. I want every piece of your brokenness. Like, do you remember, was this with Jay similar to with Raquel on the first one where you're, it sounds like you were both sort of both getting in there line by line, or was this one that you, you had most of those pieces of the lyric at least? Coherent. No, okay. I didn't. I mean, no, I didn't. It was very lime. It was very, we were in a room together and four hours later came out with the song. So it was, I, again, I had ideas for a chorus. I had uh, part of the lyric. I do remember that there are shades of your beauty that shine in the mess. Yeah. That seems like the best. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That was not, that was not me. I, that's, that's where I came in with a cliche version and Jay made it artistic. So yeah, no, that was, I remember that specifically when he created that line. And then I still want every piece of your brokenness. The song for a while was called Every Piece. Because again, that vision that I had was like the shattered vase. And I was like, every piece, like picking up every piece. But I thought every piece as a standalone title didn't grab me. It made sense to me once I knew the song and I know my own story. But I feel like to the general public, enough was a more kind of title that would maybe grab, grab people. Well, and as a vocalist, I know you're not supposed to peace. Like, that's not a good vowel to, you know, if that was going to be more, if that becomes a title, except I guess you didn't feel the need to do that with enough, right? It doesn't repeat enough, enough, enough anywhere. You know, it's just, it is one of the words that is used. Exactly, exactly. I was like, you think about the message of the song and what words stand out. I still want every piece of your brokenness is the end of the chorus. So it's not going to be, it's not going to be called brokenness. I didn't want that. So then I was like, every piece really was uh, that embodied the purpose of the song that the, my life was shattered and we're picking up every piece. And then I, I was like, well, if it was something else, what else would the song be titled? The beginning of the chorus is darling, I've got you. You're more than enough. And enough seemed slightly cliche to me, but also a little more uh, standalone title that would essentially, that would maybe draw people in more than every piece. You're like, what is that about? What is, you know, what is that? It didn't grab me. It's about telling the truth. It's about being truthful at the end of the day. I'm like, what's, where, where's the truth? And we've got enough and tough, but there's no stuff. You don't feel the need to take the rhymes. Any thought about it in terms of constructing these? Is this just something you're learning as you're going here in terms of, you know, am I going to just do couplets or am I going to, you know, try to do some sort of ABAB in terms of the rhyme scheme, that kind of stuff? Again, do you even have any general thoughts about this? Have you done it enough to have... Yeah, I mean, I love Rhyme Zone. I'm on Rhyme Zone all the time when I'm writing. I'm like, what what rhymes with this? Like, if if I'm stuck, I'm like, let's get ideas with words that could potentially go with this. But I think I, I it was, darling, I've got you more than enough. You don't have to be tough. You don't have to keep rhyming with it. You know what I mean? You don't you don't want every word to do <laughs> rhyme like the same rhyme. So yeah, no, that that made sense to me to move the rhyme scheme on <laughs> after that. 
All right, let's go back further. So you have you're on several soundtrack albums. My daughter had picked out <laughs> How About a Dance, the live version from your Dream a Little Dream 2012 live album from the Bonnie and Clyde soundtrack, which I see is also 2012. Was it actually that quickly that you were in the musical and then doing this such that I was hoping out of this to get something of like, oh yes, they, you know, I was told what to do and I was in the studio and, but now you're, you're in front of people and you're making your own choices. This was only six months between the two or something. This is pretty rapid. So yes, it was. So I did a musical um, called Bonnie and Clyde about Bonnie and Clyde. I played the famous um, outlaw and the show was not a commercial success. It only ran for two months and closed very quickly. And so I loved it. It now has a cult following. Everybody loves Bonnie and Clyde. And we have the cast album that has allowed the show to live on. And people are doing it regionally. It has a big following now. But the show closed and we actually hadn't recorded our cast album yet. So we all got back together a week after the show closed and recorded the cast album because we were like, this has to live on. And that was January of 2012. And because I was suddenly out of a job, because I no longer had my Broadway show that I was doing, I started doing concerts. That's where the door the door opened for me. And the Carlisle, which is a very famous hotel and cabaret venue on the Upper East Side in New York City, reached out to me and said, would you like to do a solo cabaret show? And I had never done a solo cabaret show before. And I was like, me? Can I sell tickets? Like, Do people want to come see me sing by myself? You know, for for 90 minutes, for 60 minutes? So essentially, I did that that summer, summer of 2012. And it was my very first cabaret show. It was just, you know, five months after Bonnie and Clyde had closed and we had recorded the cast album in January. I thought, this is my first cabaret show. It would be so cool to do a live album of this. And again, I listened back to that and go, I'm very proud of it, but it's very much a time capsule. I now have performed, you know, solo cabaret shows everywhere. I feel like, again, I've grown so much. I now, I have a different, you know, I've several, I've, I've done four different solo cabaret shows throughout my life. So I have different concerts and songs and, and set lists that I do. And again, it's, it's fun to go back and listen. But I thought, of course, since Bonnie and Clyde just closed, I should open my cabaret show with How About a Dance? Because that's what I had just come from. So that's what I did for the Carlisle album. And I did it with, you know, obviously the, just my, my house band, my piano based drums that I had for my cabaret show. I think there's a guitar toward the end, no? Oh, yeah, I think there is a guitar. So, yeah, I, I have four pieces. Right. Thank you. Sure. I will say, How About a Dance is essentially Bonnie's like theme song from the, from the Broadway musical. So it is on the cast album. I love the song. I sing it still in concert all the time. Um, I feel like it's a song I'll be singing for the rest of my life. So I had to take it from the musical and open my cabaret show with it. Ladies and gentlemen, the Cafe Carlisle is proud to present 2012 Tony nominee, Laura Osnes. How about a dance? What do you say? I got some moves that I'd love to show you. Let's find a spot and dance the
So obviously different gestures than is on the soundtrack album, which has the full orchestra. And specifically, I guess it would be difficult to open your show like this, that when the vocal comes in, Strings have played their intro, and then it's just dead quiet. And you come in with this extra sultry, I was thinking of the sort of Marilyn Monroe happy birthday to you thing. Like, and then the music comes in. You know, you can't start a whole show with that level of drama, right? I assume. <laughs> no? I'll be honest and say I have done it before in concert where Frank Wildhorn is the songwriter, um, amazing musician and writer. He wrote the music for this musical. And I have since done concerts with him where in concert we have done How About a Dance where he'll play an intro and cut out and I'll stand at the mic and just sing and he'll join it like the cast album. So again, it's it's dealer's choice. It's to each his own. I felt like for the cabaret show, I didn't need to do it the same way as the album. Now I'm the artist and I'm making it my own. And we had also recorded demos of the song before the Broadway show that did have this exact intro. So I didn't make this up. This was, a, this was another version that Frank and I had done over the years. <laughs> Um, so I think, you know, there, there are different ways to perform different songs. And I did, th- I, it was nice to have an intro so that I could, I actually, I remember walking from the back of the house of the cabaret room and singing the song as I was walking through the audience for this specific cabaret show. So I'm wondering if you have the vocal instruction to, are there names among the voice teachers for the different tones that you can make in terms of this seems to have a little more open, you know, I know they're like, no, op- open your, pull your chin down. I, I took a handful of voice lessons long, long ago. I don't remember the, the whole thing. But yeah, like, do you know what you're doing? There seems to, again, something that is not your typical, I'm aiming to the back row to this, but it's, but it's different than the soundtrack recording. Do you even know what you're doing vocally there? No, I think, <laughs> okay. I, I think at that point, I didn't take voice lessons in New York. I took voice lessons growing up. And again, came out of the womb with the voice that I had and just lived in the musical theater space for 14 years in New York. I didn't take voice when I was there. So I think this was just Laura, the Laura in the ca- at the cabaret doing the Laura version of it. But I feel like Laura's voice and Bonnie's, Bonnie's voice was maybe a little more, it's a very sultry moment. You're right in the musical. And this was the like, hey, welcome to my show. Like, I that's what it, it's, it sounds smiling. Yes. That's, yeah, I'm probably just smiling a little bit more. And like I said, I was walking through the audience as I was singing this. So 
I think it's a little, I'm greeting the people. I'm saying, hello, there's probably just a little more of a smile to it. But that wasn't like on purpose or I'm like, oh, I'm trying to sing it differently or more forward or I'm using this technique from this teacher. It wasn't that. And as a, as a live performance, when you're not trying to duplicate the same thing you did over and over again, you're not going to be able to analyze it in the way that you would with the studio stuff where you're probably second guessing everything. Well, not clearly if you kept the demo, but, but I guess you second guessed, but you said we were right the first time in that, in that case. But yes, here, you know, it's just have to rely on your in the moment performer instincts. So that like the, what do you say? Uh, you know, you're having fun with the tone. It is. Uh, oh no. It's a, uh, how about a dance? It's, it's always fun. Oh yeah. It's always fun. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So, so like do a little twirly with that. Well, it's, and it's, I'm a storyteller at heart. So if you're like, it's always fun. I'm like, that doesn't sound very fun. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm a storyteller. That's my, that's what I do with my voice is try to really bring the words off the page and bring them to life. And in that specific case, it's always fun. Like, that's fun. Well, and the, and the handsome at the end of that line, like that really is a, you really peg that. For sure. You look so handsome. I like, you got to believe it, right? You can't just sing. You look so handsome. You're like, I don't believe you. So yeah, that's what I that's what I've always loved about musical theater is that at the end of the day, you're getting to tell a story through song. And I actually I coach kids a lot. I teach musical theater classes and and work with young people. And that's what I love to focus on is acting through song and bringing a song to life. I don't teach vocal technique, but I teach storytelling. That's that's my favorite part. <laughs> so in the chorus on the cast version, I feel like there's a, a sweet spot that most people have good singers like yourself. How about a dance where you're really just, that is the belting to the, the back rows. How about a dance? Let's make a start. Which we don't get in this version. I guess the room was not as big. <laughs> you know, you didn't need to, even in the second, I, I wrote big chorus and bigger chorus, even the bigger chorus on the studio version, you just go into this where it just hits that mode of now it's at maximum decibels, you know, minimum vibrato. Cause it's just piercing. Yeah. Again, I think that's not necessarily intentional. If I'm being completely honest, I think when you're in the moment in the show and you're filling a thousand seat theater, and then obviously if you're in it, we recorded the cast album, obviously in a studio, but you have headphones and the sound is different. And you're going to be right here and you have this beautiful reverb on your voice and it's with a fuller orchestra. So you're singing full. You can hear everything. Mm-hmm. And I was reliving the show. And then when you're doing the cabaret version, you know, you have the smaller orchestra, you have the, um, a microphone. It is a way more intimate room. The Carlisle is a, it, the ceilings are low in that space. It's a very historic, legendary room. I felt very honored to get to perform there, but it's small. Like, so it's not quite, you won't have the same production elements. I mean, I'm sure they went in and they sweetened the cast album. You know what I mean? And changed the EQ and did all of that to make it sound so beautiful. You don't get that in a live, this is a live performance in a small room that we, that was captured for my album. So that's what you get, you know? All right, let's hear how you interpreted the last line. You lose the balloon.
And in this version, your last note sort of goes more or less with the musicians, whereas I think on the studio version, it, it keeps going longer. Yeah, so you actually, you do get that stop everything, hear a pin drop moment in the same song, but it's not the beginning. It's, it's you saved it for That's this moment. The end. Yeah, for sure. Which happened in the show as well. It was, uh, but you're right. It lands differently in this cabaret space than it did in the sh- in the show and on the cast album. But I love that. I love making the audience like have to like, it's like you have them in the palm of your hand in that moment and they're just waiting for what's going to come next. All right. So the harder question is having done all this musical theater stuff. I don't know. Was this what you were also listening to as a younger person? A hundred percent. Or, or, or does, is this being added to, did you have like favorite pop singers as a teen or was it strictly... Broadway. Like I, I had the Insync Christmas album, and I had Amy Grant's Christmas album, and other than that, it was like one hundred percent Broadway. <laughs> so uh, that's why it's been such a journey for me because I'm literally like I don't know anything beyond this, and now suddenly my whole life has been transformed upside down where I don't, I can't do the Broadway thing anymore, and I don't want to now because I have now a painful, a very painful exit, and so I'm like, well, what else can I do, and how can I use my gifts? in a new way and still do what I love. But I feel like an old dog learning a new trick, but it's been so awesome. It's been so wonderful. And I have found personally the Nashville community to be very supportive and welcoming. I've met so many songwriters and wonderful producers and it doesn't feel like it's, I'm sure there are elements of it that are competitive, of course, but it's not this like dog eat dog, like New York kind of was. I feel like it's it's a more collaborative industry in general. It's not perfect. And I'm sure that, you know, people have had bad experiences too. But it's all I've had so many people that are like, oh, if I can help you, I will. And like, oh, I know this person, Laura, you shouldn't be connected with this person. Like, let me make sure that you all know each other. Like it's very, it's we're all here doing the same thing. And it's like, how can we support each other instead of how can I tear someone else down to build myself up? I I don't get that here. It's beautiful. So was there a, a snobbiness in the Broadway community about Disney musicals, which we've mentioned a couple times of sort of having the, you have the princess voice that you could do. And certainly the way, you know, when my daughter like would play this stuff right alongside Frozen, were those like completely different worlds as far as you're concerned, such that the Disney now Disney invading Broadway, is, is that sacrilege? Is that... No, I mean, Disney's been okay. on Broadway, I mean, Lion King opened on Broadway 14, 15 years ago. Like, no, that's that's been a thing. And I think it's been a very successful thing for Disney to have a whole Broadway branch. Um, I did. I got to play Cinderella on Broadway, which is actually not Disney. It was the original Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella that was a made-for-TV movie starring Julie Andrews in the 50s. So, still, I mean, obviously, this is still the story, but this was not the like, Disney version per se. Um, but I, I was going to say, as far as the snot, like, snobbiness toward Disney musicals specifically, I would say no. And honestly, like, it's just, it's competitive. It's not, it, the whole industry is, a snobby is, the, is a, not a good word. That's not the good word. It's just more like, it's just a little more, it's, it's competitive. It's like, what can you do to have an edge? And everybody's insanely talented, you know? So it's like, what are you going to do that's going to help you stand out or book the role? And I think, you know, there's definitely potentially like jealousy issues toward people that are working or getting jobs. But there is still a wide range of talent. Like I, you know, I have the voice that I have and I got to do the roles that I got to do, but like I couldn't play like Alphaba and Wicked. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, because that's a different sound. That's that's someone else who lives in the in that belt voice is going to be cast in a role like that. So there's still places 
for various people who have various talents, but it is very competitive industry for sure. Well, and I feel better about not having been familiar with How About a Dance from you saying that it actually wasn't open that long. And it's not a super famous musical because I feel like, you know, musical theater is, again, snobby is not the right word, but it has its adherence. It has its, you know, that that is a, is a basically foreign world to me that I'm coming at this from, you know, rock and roll or that, you know, as a, as a dad here. But of course, I've seen shows growing up and it was involved was never actually in one of the musicals as a kid. I was in all the plays, not the, and I was in orchestra. Anyway, didn't, there's a story there that's not worth going into, but it was my arrogance pissed off the director as a freshman. You could, you know, there was a little box. Do you want to be a lead role or a supporting role? And I was like, I don't want to just be in the chorus. I'm not in the choir. I'm like, in the, or, you know, I want to actually sing. And so I put lead role and, and that apparently was a, actually just a trick to get students to disqualify themselves that you're probably going to be a hard person to work with. Anyway, I work with that director on some regular plays later, but uh, <laughs> that, that was... A- what? Wait, was there... Do you have a favorite role from your childhood? Like, what play? I just... I'm curious now. I was in, in Don't Drink the Water, which is a Woody Allen movie. I was the Richard Libertini, the priest who's wandering around. That I remember I did that as a senior. That was a fun one. Yeah. And we and there was sort of a pseudo-musical based on the the Children's Crusade. I don't know who wrote it. But there was singing involved, but it was not a musical. It just was a play with a very, very big cast. And at certain points, there was singing. And I actually even got to play guitar on stage for some of the singing for that. Anyway, but uh, yeah, people get put in niches. I was just going to say the whole theater and Broadway musical theater plays industry is very niche. And those fans are incredibly loyal. And to them, like it is their life. For me, it was my life. Like I said, that's all I listened to as a kid was musical theater soundtracks, movie musicals. Disney soundtracks, like anything that had singing and was a storytelling, you know, thing. I was like, that was, that was my world. I didn't listen to popular music (laughs) at all. Like radio music. I just didn't. So for those fans, it is everything, but it is a very niche world. Like being here in Nashville, like most people don't care about Broadway. And if they recognize me, it's probably from like a Hallmark movie. I've done some Hallmark movies too. So it's like, that's been a whole here. The people know me from that, not from Broadway. So it's, it's interesting. Well, that is a good way to transition for our, our final thing, which was to introduce the last song fell for you that you co-wrote with Chuck Wicks also released last Christmas. Right. So it seemed, but that's interesting that this is a niche that you found, you know, as an actor, as well as I can do these, you know, you're not going to necessarily get, you're in Nashville. You're not going to get on a, LA sitcom or what, you know, I don't know what the other choices are, but okay, here's something that you've like, how did you stumble into this whole Christmas world? Yeah. Well, I, I got asked to do my first Hallmark movie in 2017, I think 20, maybe 20, maybe 2018. Is that a backdoor that other Broadway people use? It's very on brand for me. I think like having done the princess and the whole thing, but like, I think any theater actor usually is trying to get TV film work and it's a nice way to get your foot in the door and gain experience behind a camera doing these Christmas movies where the stakes are are low, but I knew nothing because I had done theater and been on stage my whole life. So I was very, very grateful to be given the opportunity to star in a Hallmark movie for my very first... I didn't audition. I got a straight offer because the character had to sing. So that was the hugest gift to me. And I learned so much. And I was like, well, it must have gone well because they keep asking me back. And so I've been super grateful. I, I love it. And they're so fun. It's just joyful to get to film these movies. And I just did a new one. It came out on Saturday night. It just came out last Saturday night for a different network called uh, Great American Family. And so it, I think there are several theater actors 
who eventually book a TV film thing that kind of puts them on the map on that wider scale, but many that never do. And so any sort of TV exposure, I realized very quickly that I can reach more people on in one night in a Hallmark movie than I can in a year on a Broadway stage. Because millions of people tune in and watch this thing as where uh, the Broadway is like a thousand people every night, which is not nothing. That's huge still, but it takes a long time to get to that million that watch that Hallmark movie. So um, any TV exposure, I think, for a theater artist is a gift. Oh, believe me. I mean, like working very hard in music to try to like fill a 50 seat club. And now with a podcast, I can reach a hundred thousand people. Like that makes no sense. I put so much less effort into talking with somebody for an hour, but okay, <laughs> you get it where you can get it. That's the thing. And they, they, they pays better than, than theater. So, you know, it's like, it's really a super fun thing to do. I'm like, if I could do one or two of these movies and hopefully, yes, eventually that does um, open the door to other opportunities. But to go back to this song that Chuck and I wrote, so Chuck and I have a dream of doing a like Christmas movie together. <laughs> and so last year I was working with him on, um, I was a part of this Nashville residency show here called Shiners, which is a a Cirque du Soleil nightlife comedy show that I booked like five months after I moved here. So that's where I met Chuck. It's the show is he's the creator of the show and also was my co-star in it. And we just were having fun one day in tech rehearsal. He had his guitar out. Obviously, he's a country musician and star himself. He had a huge song like in 2007 that really put him on the map. And so we just started kind of noodling around and it was around, we were like, we should make a Christmas song. And then like months went by and we were like, Hey, do you remember that thing we did in tech rehearsal? Like, should we make something of this? And so we brought on our friend, Brett Boyette, who produced my getaway track. And that's how I met him. Chuck, Chuck introduced me to him. And we, we finished out this Christmas song and we put it out into the world. And hopefully I'm actually currently writing a script for a movie that the goal is for he and I to star in it. And hopefully we hopefully we can put this song in our movie and uh, hopefully we'll we'll get to write a few more together. All right. And if people enjoy this, that I will urge them to look back to your for another Christmas selection from you to look to that live album with a version of Baby It's Cold Outside with Tom Wopat of all people. Yes, I know. I did it. I did a show in New York with Tom. Oh my gosh. It was like a two week long uh, little mini production and we became pals. And I asked him, he was like, I'd love to come sing with you sometime. And I was like, really? And that's what we did. All right. Well, that's not what you're about to hear. Uh, Here's Fell for you. Thank you so much for doing this. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. I really appreciate it. Take care, guys. North Georgia pines are covered in snow And it's that time of year seeing lovers under mistletoe And never thought I'd be the one to be the one To find someone that would wear that halo right Yeah, it's like you do tonight So as the snow keeps falling, I keep falling That fire keeps burning It seems to be working like the flame That we're making, babe It's higher to Got everything that I want And all I want Has finally come true Yeah, cause this Christmas Is the Christmas that I felt for you 
chill Let the night get colder, babe Cause with you I never will And I never thought I'd be the one To find someone That makes me feel just like this As you lean in for that Thanks so much to Laura. A real treat to talk to her. She's someone, as I mentioned to her, that I heard through my daughter, who would play me things from the Cinderella Broadway soundtrack. Really interesting career path. After I recorded this interview with her, I happened to be looking at this holiday film channel and ended up watching the second half of her 2021 movie, Christmas in Tahoe, which was all about, there was a big talent show and things. And strangely, she did not actually sing in that one, which was sort of ridiculous, but it was cute. You can probably figure out what you'd get from that kind of movie. Anyway, I'm glad I got to post this still during the holiday season. Hope you're all having a good one. I'll see you in 2024. And no matter what comes your way, like Laura, you just got to keep on musicking. Until next time, this is Mark Lintemeyer signing off. Hopelessly.